This is Channel 253. In this episode of Gimme the Mic. It's incredibly important to understand our impact, especially in Washington, where we are located, because our state and kind of our community thrives on the local fisheries, the shellfish industry, and then the imports and exports that come into our bodies of water. Channel 253 is a member-supported podcast network. I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I'm asking you to become a member and show your support. Go to channel253.com slash membership to join. Thank you. Give me the mic. Give me the mic. So hello and welcome to Give Me the Mic, a podcast of Channel 253 here in the Puget Sound. This podcast features community voices and community topics. My name is Julie Masera, and I will be hosting a number of episodes focusing on the state of Puget Sound. I have a series of invited guests join me to talk about their experiences studying the Puget Sound and how that work has led them to their current positions. All will be connected to our neighborhood, the 253. So, give me the mic. <laughs> I just want to tell you a little bit about myself. I came to Tacoma in 1975 when my father was stationed at McCord Air Force Base. I grew up in the Tacoma School District, and I went to school from grades 1 through 12, and I'm a proud Lincoln High School graduate. I spent my graduate and undergraduate career at Washington State University, where I studied geology. After a number of adjunct teaching jobs up and down the I-5 corridor, I returned to Tacoma to join the faculty at the University of Washington, Tacoma. I remember as a small child smelling the Tacoma aroma from our paper mill, eating the dirt in my backyard, and not being able to swim in the water downtown Tacoma. I recall getting swimmer's itch in Wapato Lake. All these things I soon connected to the state of our environment as I taught a number of environmental science classes at the university. This is what brings me here today. I wanted to share my experiences studying the Puget Sound with a number of badass scientists, women scientists to be specific from our region. We will share our connection with one another, stories of our research experiences and our journeys along the way. Again, welcome, give me the mic. My first guest here is Caitlin McFarland. She is an awesome instrument technician for the world famous Seabird Scientific. Well, it's it's uh, world famous, I think, Caitlin, for oceanographers. Everybody has a seabird instrument. <laughs> Most definitely. So, <laughs> so, Caitlin, tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, the elevator pitch. <laughs> um, so, I'll just start with my name because that's the easiest thing. Uh, I'm Caitlin McFarland. Um, I just graduated from the University of Washington, Tacoma, uh, with my environmental science degree. Um, I'm a huge ocean nerd and marine enthusiast. You talk about anything science related, and I am your person. Um, I do work. Uh, mostly in physical oceanography around the Salish Sea and the Puget Sound. Um, I primarily work with harmful algal blooms and analyzing marine sediments. Um, and as Julie said, I work for Seabird Scientific, which uh, is an ocean research technology company. And um, 
I'm a test technician there and a researcher at the University of Washington. Thank you for having me. Oh, of course. It's our pleasure. I'm so excited to have you share your stories with us. I wanted to start our conversation out today with just a question. And I think this is kind of funny. And I kind of prepped you before you came on today. What is the nerdiest thing you did this week? So I follow NASA Ocean on Twitter and I learned something and I got super duper excited about it. So I want to share it. Um, It's Black Hole Week. So NASA, obviously being space, is all about that. Um, They compared black holes to eddies in the ocean um, as like the equivalent. Um, And they, uh, for a background, eddies are like bends in surface ocean current, um, currents that lengthen and create loops uh, separate from warmer currents. And then um, basically trap water inside and... uh, with the Coriolis effect and the earth rotating in its system, um, it makes all the water go everywhere in different directions and mixes. And it so essentially creates a black hole in the water. So I thought that was super cool. And it got me incredibly excited because it links to some of my work that I do with um, phytoplankton research. Um, NASA has a satellite with a radar Um, that measures the height of these tides and these eddies, um, and they use it to um, create color images of blooms from the satellite. So I had like a full-on nerd moment there. Yeah, that was a big (laughs) fine nerd moment. And that was kind of unpack a little bit about phytoplankton and what that Mm -hmm. means, but it's really kind of fun to make those connections and to see how we can be studying the ocean and even in the Puget Sound from outer space. So Mm -hmm. that's cool. Um, Do you want to hear my nerdiest thing? Absolutely. I I listened to a podcast today um, and it's called Planet Geo and it's pretty fun. And um, I, I listened to this podcast. It was called this, and I won't go into too much detail. Ancient nukes, a 1.9 billion year old nuclear reactor. Now that sounds okay. It was kind of cool, right? But the, the, the nerdy thing about that I wanted to share with you guys today is um, I'm going to listen to it again and take notes because it was that good. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> that's awesome. So that's my nerdy thing for the week. Um, So Caitlin, tell me when you decided you wanted to become a scientist. Since I was little, I've always had a fascination with how things work. So I think it's always just kind of been a part of me. Um, But I didn't really decide to go into the science field until I was a bit older. Um, I was the kid that my mom was a nurse. So I was like, I'm going to go in the medical field. Um, Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I was sitting in Hawaii in the water completely surrounded that I was like, you know what, why don't I do this? Um, And so I decided when I went to UW to enroll in actually your oceanography class. um, And that's kind of where it took off. So I was hooked. Yeah, it's not too much of a secret. Well, it was until just now that Caitlin was a former student of mine and was a super rock star and she's landed in such a cool position. I wanted to share that with you guys. Um, so when did you start doing your work in the Salish Sea? When was the, when did the research kind of take off? Uh, that was about four years ago. Um, when I started college, I've been out for about a year, but since then, um, I've been able to work with UW on multiple projects, um, 
focused around the Sailor Sea. Um, I took an estuaries class also with Julie, um, and that was uh, a long-term study, and that led to other projects, and it kind of continued there, um, and I've been doing it since. Can you define for us what an estuary is? Yeah, so an, <laughs> an estuary is an area between um, saltwater and freshwater, and it's this, um, this environment where um, oh, words. an environment or like ecosystem where all of that comes together. Yeah, so would you say that commencement bay is an estuary? Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. So Commencement Bay is a really cool estuary that we get to study um, just right down the hill from everybody here in Tacoma, the 253. So let me go ahead and ask this next question then. So can you tell us a little bit about the, the research projects or a couple of them, just a little bit of a highlight about the research that you've done. So you mentioned you've done some work in the Salish Sea. Yeah. Um, I have done a couple different projects that focused on harmful algal blooms. Um, there was a long-term study of Puget Sound that King County and um, the Department of Ecology have been doing um, for probably the past decade or so, um, working with marine sediments um, to monitor different algal blooms. One of the projects that I did and I'm just now finishing, uh, we took a look at Elliott Bay, which is the body of water right outside Seattle. Um, and it was a comprehensive look at the conditions that um, an area where a specific uh, phytoplankton called Alexandrium catenella um, was found. And so that was a really neat one. Um, I also did another study up in Port Gardner, up by Everett. Uh, that was very similar to the King County with harmful algal blooms. Um, and that one was really neat because uh, there hasn't been a comprehensive study in uh, the water up there in Possession Sound. Um, it's Possession Sound, right? That is correct. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so uh, that was with the Puget Sound uh, Environmental Monitoring Project. And then the larger projects that I've been working on um, with the University of Washington, uh, University of Alaska Fairbanks and NOAA's Beaufort Lab um, is also a harmful algal bloom project titled Merhab. Um, and that is taking a, an approach to look at the quantification of Alexandrium um, in the Gulf of Maine, Alaska, and the Salish Sea. And then we are taking kind of a comprehensive look at the methods at predicting the blooms um, and seeing if instating qPCR methods um, will help speed up the process. Yeah, so instead of manually counting one, two, three, we would use this qPCR process to kind of speed up a, a really quick analysis or a testing. Yeah, mm -hmm. cool. So um, why do you think it's really important for our community to know about the Salish Sea? What, what makes it uh, vital, the work that we're doing? Why is it so important? Why should the community know about it? Yeah, um, I think that with um, environments, it's incredibly important to understand our impact. Um, 
especially in Washington, where we are located, because our state and kind of our community thrives on the local fisheries, the shellfish industry, and then the imports and exports that come into our bodies of water. Um, we have an extensive ecosystem in the Salish Sea with really unique uh, biodiversity. The two kind of standout ones, orcas and salmon. Um, of yeah. Yes, uh, people see those all the time in the news because they are pretty important. Um, and everything that we do with our water bodies directly impacts them. And a lot of the times, uh, what we do outside of the water bodies also can affect these um, different animals and the habitat. So I think yeah. that studying it and expanding our knowledge of what we are creating and changing in these environments is incredibly important for sus sustainability and kind of the health of the entire region. You know what I love, Caitlin, is you just set up the next couple of talks. So we're going to cool. get some experts that are going to come in and talk about urban development, how there's the impacting the, uh, the Puget Sound, the Pensive Bay, the Salish Sea, mm -hmm. our world's oceans. We're going to talk about um, tires and that kind of stuff and how that's affecting those salmon or, or you know, sentinel species. So good. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you so much. So last question for you. We'll kind of wrap it up for you. When um, can you, when you're not on a boat and collecting water samples and getting mud from the bottom of the ocean, what do you like to do when you're not out on the water? What's something unique that you want to share with us? Um, well, I have horses, so I'm very much uh, into the equestrian world. Um, other than that, I kind of just hang out with my dogs and my wife and go hiking and kind of the normal Pacific Northwestern thing. <laughs> Hello, this is Eric Hanberg, host of the Channel 253 podcast, Citizen Tacoma, and a proud Alaska Airlines frequent flyer. Everything in our day-to-day -day life seems to involve more hassle these days. So it feels good that Alaska Airlines is making something easier. Alaska has made air travel virtually touch-free. Here's the rundown. When you check your bags at the airport, you won't have to touch the kiosk to print your bag tags. They'll print when you scan your boarding passes, or you can even print them from home. When you board your flight, they can scan your boarding pass from as much as six feet away. Now, the lawyers want me to say that this might not work if the lighting in the terminal is low or if the print quality of your boarding pass isn't great. But still, kudos to Alaska for trying to keep physical distancing at every point of the trip. And don't forget, you can pre-order your meal from your phone or from your computer. You can even put your card on file in case you decide mid-flight to splurge on a local wine or beer. Get your drink without pulling out your card. Now that's the perfect blend of convenience, safety, and temptation. Those are the thoughtful details that make me choose Alaska Airlines every time I fly domestically. When you're ready to travel, rest easy, because Alaska's got this. Skip the travel sites and visit alaskaair.com to book your next flight. Thank you, Alaska Airlines, for making travel smoother, and thank you for your support of Channel 253. So thank you so much to our sponsor, and welcome back to Channel 253. Give me the mic. Caitlin, I wanted to um, ask you kind of a cool question. Um, how did you end up at Seabird uh, Scientific? Networking. <laughs> a lot of networking. Um, 
I think it definitely helped being uh, in school locally because uh, I was able to make a lot of connections um, with some of the people that I met out on research trips with Noah. Um, also, knowing you as a professor was very helpful. Um, but uh, when I found the job for Seabird, it was kind of one of those things where I was like, this sounds kind of cool. I'm just going to go for it. And it ended up actually working out, which is pretty neat. Um, but it's been a really cool experience to use the stuff out in the field and turn around and now learn about the kind of inner workings and how they're made. And um, yeah, kind of just you, happened. Can you tell me, or can you share with us uh, what Seabird, you know, what kind of instrumentations and what they, they're used for? Yeah. yeah, so um, Seabird makes uh, research technology um, that is used out, obviously, in the ocean. There's all sorts of different types of uh, auxiliary sensors and CTDs. Um, basically, for those of you who aren't familiar with uh, research tech, um, each individual model has a specific um task that it does. So I primarily work with the CCAT profiler CTDs, um, which I've used in the field. Um, and those record uh, conductivity, temperature, and depth as they go through the water column. Um, so how do they go? How do they get in the water? How do you get the, you know, like, how do you measure? Yeah. Um, so at Seabird, we have test baths. Um, so I don't actually get to go out in the field, but I do get to um, kind of test them in the facility. And we have uh, test, test baths that stay at a consistent um, salinity and temperature. So it's a control. Okay. And basically my job as a test technician is to, um, with the CTDs, I put on any uh, additional auxiliary sensors like um, pH sensors, temperature sensors, um, fluorescence. So I add on all the, the smaller units into the larger CCAT. Um, and I also integrate them into the cages that they go into um, to protect them while they're going in the water. And then, um, we put them through a couple different tests right. and uh, just to make sure before they get sent out that they're working perfectly. So you said a CTD, that's the conductivity. It measures conductivity in the water, mm -hmm. temperature, and then the depth. Conductivity, how do you measure the conductivity? Um, so that uh, takes their words. Um, so the... So CCAT itself um, mostly takes uh, temperature and uh, salinity, but conductivity, yeah. um, we have kind of uh, different sensors integrated into the system. Um, and that usually goes through, we call it, we have numbers uh, to kind of classify. Yeah, yeah. So it goes from essentially like a three all the way up to a, 61, 64. Yeah. Like yeah. Um, and so uh, with the conductivity, um, there's certain sensors within the CCAT that record that. Um, yeah. But the additional things, so a CCAT's like a 19 plus is the model. Um, and I add everything from a 43, uh, which does dissolved oxygen 
to um, an 18, which is a pH sensor. Um, I can also add ECOS, which comes from Wet Labs, which is our one of our partner companies. Um, and that takes different uh, light refractments and measures fluorescence within the water. So basically, yeah. oh, sorry. Uh, basically no, like the CCAT um, is one of the most versatile um, because you can add so many different configurations and kind of how, have it put together exactly how you want. So most of my job is figuring out like what the customer wants specifically for their research project and creating um, the built model of that. So basically you nerd out every single day when you're at work. I love Oh my that. gosh, yeah. <laughs> so thinking about this, just to kind of get everybody kind of looped in, like dissolved oxygen, why do we care? Because we've got phytoplankton, which is organisms that are in the water putting oxygen in the water so that the fish can breathe, right? We're looking at fluorescence, which is how much green stuff, chlorophylls in the water. So we're trying to figure out like how much phytoplankton is in the water, those kind of things. So all of these things we can take these cool instruments that Caitlin are, is making and we can drop it down the water column from the surface all the way to the bottom. And we can tell you the, the basically some of the properties, physical properties, chemical properties. Um, we even can figure out uh, bio, connections to biology, right? As you're doing that. And that's amazing. And um, <laughs> that's why I'm just so at awe that you get to work at such a world famous um instrument company so awesome it's, it's really great. cool too because we have some uh programs that automatically will upload it into graphs for us um in real time which is pretty cool um and then i wanted to touch on i also work on um another project um, I'm not the main person on that, but I work with the Navis um, autonomous profiling units, uh, oh, the big what? floats. Um, those are used for the Argo program and UW uses them as well. Um, basically it's a large CTD head and that's the portion that I work on. It's called an Alice unit. Um, so I work on kind of the brain of the float and then, um, the rest of it, basically it's like a continuous logging instrument, um, CTD, and it stays at one specific location and kind of moves up and down in the water column. So I think that's super cool. Cause it looks like a rocket ship. Um, yeah. yeah so Without it's, it's people, right? Yeah, without yeah. people. So you can take them and you can throw them in the ocean and leave them there for 30 plus years and it'll keep going as long yeah. as you change the battery. Yeah, Science right. pretty cool. That's always, <laughs> yeah, because yeah, it takes tens of thousands, if not more, to, to get a, a research vessel out to, mm -hmm. to drop these instruments, right? That's tethered to the ship. But to send them out in these floats, I didn't know you're working on floats. That is yeah. so cool. Yeah, yeah, I work um, just on, on the brain portion of it, but it's really cool to be able to see them put together. Um, and we send about 50 plus out kind of oh. like average every week, which is pretty cool. I love it. Oh, that's so great. How do you think um, the work that you did at the UW kind of um, uh, got you prepared to do this kind of a job? I think it definitely helped um, in the way that like I have the knowledge of what the customer of Seabird would want with their instruments. A lot of the people that work there are more of like the engineering um, and like electronics standpoint, which is great because they're 
really smart. Um, but being able to be like one of the only people that have actually like been out in the field and using it, um, I kind of have like a little step up of like, hey, I know it makes sense to do it this way, but have you tried it this way? Because this is what works for us when we're using it. Um, so I definitely think all the lab work has helped me kind of understand um, and have a better grasp of what the sensors do and why we use them. Because um, when you're in the building, you're just building it and it's getting sent out. So you don't really get to see what they do. Yeah. Do you, are you looking forward to using them again in the future and start Absolutely. doing research? Yes, yes, definitely. I was uh, looking into grad schools and seeing what I can do to get myself out on a boat again. Wonderful. Well, you know, you're always welcome to join us. I, I, I love having you out in the, out in the boat with us doing some research, getting all hot and sweaty and lifting <laughs> instruments, and, you know. Well, I can fix it now. So. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, we don't have to send it back. We can just send it to Caitlin's house. <laughs> Caitlin, again, I am super excited. And this would be a good time to, um, to ask that question about being, what's your new unique thing about you, so. I love that. And I wanted you to share your horses. So that's yeah. cool. So. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, Caitlin, I just want to thank you so very, very, very much for taking this, you know, a couple of minutes to, to kind of out of your busy, kind of exciting new life as a, a technician at Seabird. Sea that's just amazing uh, that you got that job. I'm so excited for you. Um, so I just want to thank you for joining us today. And it was really fun, you know, hearing your stories and about what you've been doing um, and how you got to where you are and um, kind of how you developed your uh, passion and your love for science. So listeners, I just want to say, um, I've given you the mic to stay tuned for additional conversations with more badass women scientists in the Puget Sound. Thank you so much for tuning in. Did you know Channel 253 is member-supported? I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I hope you will show your support by going to channel253.com slash membership and join. Thank you. Give Me the Mic is part of the Channel 253 Podcast Network. Check out our other shows, Nerd Farmer, Interchangeable White Ladies, We Art Tacoma, Move to Tacoma, Taco Man, Flounder's B-Team, Crossing Division, Citizen Tacoma, and What Say You? This is Channel 253.